and welcome to the Experiential Education Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Dr. Paul Browning from St. Paul's School in Brisbane about the unique and innovative entrepreneurship stream they offer their students as part of their studies. Dr. Browning has been a school principal for more than 20 years. He is currently headmaster of St. Paul's School in Brisbane, which has been listed among the world's 100 most innovative learning organisations in Cambridge University's 800 series and Australian School of the Year for 2019. Paul is a highly sought-after guest speaker in Australia as well as internationally. He is author of two books, the first one being Compelling Leadership, which is a great resource for anyone wanting to build their leadership capabilities and capacity within their school. Paul's second book is a widely anticipated and newly released book about building and rebuilding trust in organisations that have failed in their leadership and breached the community's trust. This book is called Principled, which is out this month in March 2020, and there's a link to this in the show notes. Dr Browning was awarded Best Non-Government School Principal in 2018 and is the recipient of the Miller Grassy Award for Outstanding Leadership in Education. It was great to be able to chat with Paul about some of the interesting experiential education work he's doing to help ensure his students are developing the skills they need to succeed in this rapidly changing world. Well, thanks for joining us today, Paul. Can you tell us a little bit about St Paul's School where you're headmaster of? Potted history. So potted history, I, it's interesting, I just took a, a new group, or group of prospective parents, so looking at enrolling the kids on a tour this morning, and I always start off with a bit of a history about the school. And St Paul's School was established in 1960, so next year we're 60 years old. It started as a boys only high school, and it went co-ed in 93. And then we added a junior school in 97 and an international school in 97. So it's now a pre-prep to year 12 school with an international school spread across 125 acres. So it's a massive campus. It's a big school, but we do a lot of work to actually make sure that we know each individual child as a person. And the beautiful grounds here and have a swimming pool as well, which is, which is lovely. Well, it is Queensland. So yeah. <laughs> Prerequisite, you need a pool. You have three different streams within your program at St Paul's. So there's the standard academic stream. So we, yeah, we did a fairly significant piece of research in 2014. We did uh, what's called a scenario planning project where we looked at the world of 2028. And at that time, it was the year 2028 was chosen because it was when our then younger students would graduate year 12. So 14 years time, what would the world be like that they would be entering? Scenario planning is a process where you're not predicting the future, you're looking at possible futures. And if these possible futures come to pass, then what do you need to do as an organisation to align yourself or prepare yourself for those eventualities? So to actually do that work, we did a, a, put a team of staff together and they did a lot of desk research using an acronym called RESPECTED. And RESPECTED stands for religion, environment, social, political, education, technology, etc., etc. And people were researching in those different areas and what they were doing was looking for trends, trends that could impact St Paul's School. 
We then actually interviewed 30 thought leaders in those different fields as well. So Saul Eastlake we interviewed. We interviewed leading politicians, people in the religious sphere as well, archbishops of different dioceses. Uh, we ended up talking to four of the top five educational experts across the globe. So, Passy Salberg actually rang us and said, could I please get involved because Andy Hargraves has told me all about this project and he's been involved and I, I don't want to miss out. And Yong Zhao was part of it as well. So we interviewed those guys too. And what we were looking for, as I said, was trends. We then mapped those trends to find two critical uncertainties, things that we couldn't predict where they might end up. So it's pretty easy to predict that the divorce rates in 2028 are going to be very similar to what they are today. So, and obviously it's going to have an impact on the education of young people here, but we kind of have programs already to support kids in need when they're going through a you know, family breakdown. But the two critical uncertainties that we found were technology and interestingly combined with that was employment. So it's really interesting when you look at technology you can't really predict much more than three years out where technology is actually going to go and the impact it actually might have. So who knew in the early 2000s that today we'd all have a smartphone in our pockets that could access all of the information the world has ever created on one device there and the impact that that would actually have on our everyday lives. And then obviously technology has a significant impact or is having a significant impact on employment. So jobs are being transformed because of robotics, artificial intelligence, and new jobs are going to emerge, and all the research shows that young people of tomorrow will need high levels of creativity. They'll need to be able to think creatively, think like an innovator, think like an entrepreneur. It is also quite likely that kids will need to create their own employment opportunities. So they won't go down the traditional uh, career path or trajectory that you and I might have gone down, leave school, gone to university, got a job, maybe changed jobs but stuck with the same career. It's more than likely they'll have seven careers over the course of their life and more than likely, as I said, they'll need to create their own job. So why is it that people become entrepreneurs in spite of their education? Why can't they become entrepreneurs because of their education? So responding to those possible futures, we saw a need to develop a third pathway of learning, not just an academic pathway or a vocational pathway, but an entrepreneurial pathway. And underpinned there is a way of teaching that we've been developing, researching and prototyping called Realms of Thinking. And Realms of Thinking changes the way that we teach in every classroom, every curriculum area, to ensure that we foster creativity. Schools are notorious at actually killing creativity, teaching kids to conform to a system, when in actual fact what we need to do is to nurture and foster their ability to think creatively because creative thinking is the underpinning or the foundation of entrepreneurialism. So kids are taught how to think creatively, to think like an innovator, and then they're supported if they wish to develop their own business while they're at school. I really like that. It's the, the creative thinking to solve real world problems yeah. that and we're faced with all sorts of problems today and we will be into the future as well. So if I was a student and I was going to take the entrepreneurial stream, what would my experience look like? We, as I said, every classroom we've embedded the realms of thinking. So the realms of thinking are a collection of 16 dispositions that research has shown is necessary to think creatively. 
So some of those dispositions, as you'd probably be aware, is uh, the willingness to take risks, the willingness to embrace failure as a, as a learning opportunity, empathy for other people, the ability to work collaboratively in groups. So 16 dispositions that underpin or support the development of creative thinking. And when you cluster those dispositions in clusters or groups, they form ways of working like design thinking or entrepreneurialism. So in classrooms across the school, the entrepreneurial pathway looks like the encouragement to think like an innovator. Kids are given provocations, so questions, big questions. There's a subject that we developed here called Immersion Studies Time, or in the secondary school it's Integrated Studies Time. So two hours each week, kids are immersed in that, they're given provocations, they're thinking about those big questions, and they're coming up with solutions and designing solutions to those problems. So let me give you a bit of an example. In junior school, a couple of weeks ago, we, we had a whole week given over to immersion studies time. We called it morphing week. And we did away with grade levels, we did away with the timetable, and students were just basically working in teams to respond to some of these provocations. And one of the provocations we gave them was, what would happen if all the continents of the world came together and the world started spinning in the other direction? That was the provocation. And because kids are taught how to think, they actually then started to ask some really big challenging questions. And one of the questions was, what would religion look like? Would we actually have all these different religions or would we have one world religion or would we create a new religion? What would actually happen? And so they started to explore those by asking you know, big questions, challenging questions. So it looks like the ability to look, find problems problems that we didn't know might exist and identify those issues. That's what the beginnings of an entrepreneurial pathway looks like. And then if a student shows that, yeah, I'd really like to take this further, then they are supported to go into our Entrepreneurs Club if they want to, where it's a 16 week course. And basically they're learning the lean startup model. So they're learning how to actually work together in a team to look at that problem and come up with a solution and pitch that solution. And a lot of schools are doing this, Shark Tank idea. But we've run that now for four years and very successfully. And the ch next challenge for us was, well, so what? What next? So we, we raised money. We've got a $50,000 startup fund. And we opened our Centre for Innovators and Entrepreneurs. For those students who really want to continue growing, they then move into our Centre for Innovators and Entrepreneurs. And they begin a startup in residence. So they'll have a business idea. They'll be working with a team of people and then they'll have coaches from the corporate world who will come out and teach them or support them to develop their, their particular business. So there's one young boy who was featured in the Courier Mail just a little a while ago, he's in year four. This year he started a, a, an Airbnb pet business. So, I saw that. Yeah, that's so, cool. <laughs> so that's pretty yeah. cool. There's a, another a guy in year seven at the moment. He's working with a team and they're creating a soap saver. It's called Sub Soap Saver. Uh, that's their business. That's a really interesting sort of business. And the, the really exciting thing about it is it's vertical. It's, there's no age or, or anything. It's, it's people learning together and creating a business together. So it's yeah, really quite exciting. Then we do a whole host of other things as well. So we, we started this year what's called a, a design-led venture program where we're inviting corporates into the, into the school to bring us a problem that they have and inviting or allowing our students to solve that problem for them. Because our kids unencumbered, they, they haven't been taught to conform to a particular way of thinking, they're actually thinking very divergently, they can come up with really innovative ideas. So world's biggest garage sale is a, a fairly significant startup business that's in Brisbane and it came with a problem and we called for students to be part of this and they, six girls spent 15 weeks 
working on this problem for the, the business and then they pitched their idea at the end of it and basically what they did is they created a new product for the world's biggest garage sale and it, it, it literally blew the owners of that company away they, and they've taken that idea now and they're actually going to take it to market. Those girls then had the opportunity to pitch it to Queensland's chief entrepreneur and again in front of an audience of 200 people we had a girl there from year six who was responding to questions from the audience, audience filled with adults who work in the corporate world asking questions about the circular economy. Now I've got no idea what the circular economy actually is but this kid in year six because she'd been working on this project, the depth of understanding and learning that she'd actually achieved on concepts like the circular economy was, and she was you know, batting the question straight back, answering conf confidently to a point where people are thinking, this girl is like 11, what is going on here? This is just incredible. So it looks like all sorts of things. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that's one of the challenges with entrepreneurship. It is so broad, but if yeah, there's a yeah. core skill set and presentation as part of that, yeah. being able to respond quickly or work to... Work in a team, yeah. Yeah, solve problems. Yeah, it is. It's a very broad concept. It's not just about starting up your own business. And our mantra here, well, one of our mantras is not every person will become an entrepreneur, but every person needs to think like an entrepreneur because corporate or big businesses are actually looking for people who can identify problems, create solutions to those problems, or create opportunities for their businesses. So they need people who are able to have the ability to, to do just that and to work together in teams and collaborate and, and come up with solutions that they may never have ever thought of before. And then of course there'll be those students who really want to start their own business and, and run with it. So why not give them that opportunity and that skill set? That's fantastic. It's so different to the majority of school programs. Yeah. It's a much more forward way of thinking. In terms of transitioning the school, you had a big research piece. You got in a whole stack of expert advice and worked with external consultants. But what about the internal culture change? I'm sure that would have been a challenge. Yes. <laughs> and I think you would find that in any school that uh, yeah, teachers are conditioned as well. We, we all went to school and you know, we, we all know what it's like being a teacher too. Parents all went to school and everyone knows something about education. And we tend to, we, we're conditioned to conform ourselves to a system. So change for a teacher is, you know, is really difficult to embrace. Some teachers just love it. They just love creativity and love change. But others you know, are very set in their ways. So yes, culture is a significant contributing factor. So St Paul's School has a, a horrid history which made the challenge even more complex where in the early 80s and the 90s there were significant abuse cases that actually occurred at the school which had a, a, an incredible impact on the culture of the organisation, diminishing almost the notion of trust. And I would argue for innovation to occur in any organisation it has to begin with a culture of trust. So St Paul's School, when I arrived in 2008, there was almost no trust here, even a decade after these claims came to light. We were a focus of the Royal Commission in Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse uh, in 2015, and that really shed a light on what actually happened here and the impact it had on the organisation. So one of the first things I needed to do is, as the, the head is to actually work on the culture turn that culture around and create a culture of trust. And that was the birth of my PhD research, was how as leaders do we actually develop a culture of trust? What do we need to do as a leader to develop trust in, in me as the leader and trust in the organisation? I've got a book being released in March that 
shows that finding and tells a story uh, of the St Paul School. It's called Principal uh, 10 Leadership Practices for Building Trust. So you can look out for that book. Just a little plug. <laughs> no worries, I'll look out for that. Essentially it starts there, so building that culture of trust. Because teachers need to feel safe to take risks because innovation, creativity is about taking risks. Absolutely, it's one of the yeah. dispositions and if they don't feel safe, then they're not going to take that ri those risks. Uh, and if they, we want them to take risks and model that sort of learning to the kids. I had a teacher here yesterday in my office who did a year six unit with design technology and we were just debriefing about the term and he said, oh, the, the unit was, it was terrible. It was, it was a disaster. <laughs> Yeah, what teacher sits in the principal's office and tells him that the unit he's been teaching for the last three months was just a total waste of time? Yeah. <laughs> so, an indication that we've got a great culture and an indication that teacher's willing to take a risk and try something. And at the end of the day, he learnt enormous things about that unit and the kids learnt enormous stuff about the unit. Might have been a failure, but next year it's going to be even better. But that's one of the, the key things. We learn more from our failures we than do. we ever do if everything's going along well. We never change our thinking and so it's our failures that reshape our thinking. Precisely right. So if you don't have a culture of trust, you're never going to take those risks that are necessary for innovation to occur. Changing and shaping that culture. The next part of that was to lead people through a realisation that the world is changing and changing at a rate greater than what we've ever seen in human history, largely impacted by the advances in technology. Obviously climate change, everything else that's happening around us, the economy, you know, global politics, enormous change that's occurring. So the reality is we actually have to embrace that change. It's not going away. It's, it's almost, well it is, the only constant in life besides death and taxes. Change is the other constant. So we, we've got to accept change. So leading people through a process to see that they need to change and capture a vision for what it could be like. And as soon as people realise that if we don't change, actually we might not even have a job in 10 years time because we would have been become redundant because technology might even replace teachers. So therefore, we need to change. Yeah. So some people here have embraced that and, and love it. And at the end of the day, as people who come to visit and see us, some people haven't embraced that and they really struggle with that. And there'll be reasons for that and our job is to support them through that. But at the end of the day, if they, they're still not willing to embrace that change, then this is not the right place, place for them to work. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, oh, precisely. They're not going to get up and be happy and excited about coming to work. And if they're not, then why keep persevering in that environment? And especially with a, an innovative entrepreneurial stream is you have to maintain that uh, momentum with students so that they understand, okay, what if there is a setback? How do I deal with a setback? How do I move on from that and, and not have that drag me down? And so if you have that positive culture within the staff and the students, yeah. It just makes that so much easier. It does. Yeah. it does. And you're talking about the dispositions right there. Like they're the dispositions. The ability to embrace failure and learn from that. The resilience to get up and have another go at it. And if staff aren't modelling that, then how can we actually expect our kids to, to learn that as well? Yes. The other really interesting thing too is schools are notorious at killing creativity. You only have to watch Sir Ken Robertson's, uh, you know, probably the most popular YouTube clip you know, ever, you know, 20 million plus views, you know, how schools kill creativity, so to see how we actually do that. But basically what we're doing is teaching kids to conform, yeah. so we're killing creativity. And teachers have been through that system as well and they've learned to conform too. So as adults we see ourselves as not being creative. 
So you ask teachers or staff around the school or any adult, are you creative? And most people's response will, no, I'm not creative. And so therefore, if they feel as though they're not creative, how can they impart that passion and, and notion of creativity to kids? So yeah. it's really unlearning that and realising that, you know what, you actually are creative. And theologically, you know, we're an Anglican school, so Christian philosophy or theology, first verse in the Bible, in the Genesis, in the beginning God created the world and he created man and woman in his likeness. God is a creative being. He created people in his likeness. Therefore, you and I are creative beings. We get fulfillment and excitement in life when we actually create. And that creation could be writing, it could be the design of a building, it could be a solution to a problem, it could be in relationships, it, it could be all over the place. We actually are creative beings and yet our system of education has told us, no David, you're not creative, you're no good at art, you're no good at music, just stick to this, will you? And, and this is what you need to do to get an A on the test. And, and if you just do that and follow these rules, then you'll be okay in life. And in actual fact, the future doesn't, we don't need people like that. That's, that's an industrial model of education. Yeah. The future needs people who can actually go, you know what, I can actually solve that problem. And I can solve that problem by working with these people here and, and we can come up with a solution that nobody has ever thought of. And I can actually do it because actually I am creative. So there's, there's a big mind shift that has to occur for staff as well as for students. Do you find with students who do embrace that, that it's hard to keep up with them, that they just go, I have got this idea and I'm just running with it. Yep. <laughs> it, it's actually crazy what they are learning. As I said, this, this example I gave you before with the design-led venture, year six girl talking about the circular economy. Here am I sitting in this room listening to this girl talk about circular economy and I don't even know what she's talking about. You know, where do you teach the circular economy in the curriculum anyway? And that yet this kid is running away with this idea and this concept that it's remarkable because yeah. she's empowered, she's engaged, she's seeking out knowledge because it's going to be relevant to what she's actually doing. Concepts that kids are actually learning as a result of changing the way we teach, it really is quite remarkable. And the questions they're asking, you know, I had to go down and be an expert for our morphing week as a religious expert. I don't have a degree in religion, but certainly got a lot of knowledge in that area. And the kids were asking me questions. There's no way I could answer the questions. Dr. Browning, will we have a one world religion? Will we create a new religion? What will it look like? I don't know. This is a kid in year four <laughs> asking this sort of question. Are you serious? Uh, what kid in year four actually asks an adult uh, what would happen with, to religion if all the continents came together? How did they even start thinking about that? It is mind-blowing what's actually happening as a result of changing the way we teach to foster creative thinking. You've got one program coming up shortly, which is a hackathon. Tell me a bit about the hackathon. It's for year five through to year nine. It is, and David, I don't know a huge amount of, about it, but our director for the Centre for Innovators and Entrepreneurs, Dr Renee Jones, she's brilliant. And one of the key things that we actually did for our entrepreneurial pathways and employs someone who's come out of the corporate world. So we're making a connection between the corporate world and school, rather than just being insular and we're all teachers. She's made this connection, and so she's got connections with people and businesses all around the place. She went on a study tour to Silicon Valley last year. She's connected to the chief entrepreneur in Brisbane, the Shark Tank River City Labs startup precinct in Brisbane as well. So she's got immense connections. And her idea, she came to me a couple of weeks ago, so, you know, we've had hackathons in small groups. We teach kids to do that in different classes. Why don't we do a hackathon for the whole school? 
why not? Let's give it a go. Yes. <laughs> uh, again, it's kind of like, let's take a risk and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you've got a great idea. Let's give it a crack. And so we put it out to the staff, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of staff said, well, you know, how's that going to work? La, 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 la. So we had to narrow it down to five to nine. So it's almost like, yeah, we get that there will be some problems, and you've raised some is valid issues there, staff. Yeah. So that's, yeah, thank you for your feedback. So we've now refined it to five to nine for next week. 500 students still. <laughs> I think we've had to hire 100 tables to put in the, in the Walker Centre there to set it out. I'm a mentor next week. I don't know what that's going to look like, but my job is to go in and actually provoke teams. But two days of uh, an ideas hackathon. So basically, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, it's, it's going to be incredibly exciting. <laughs> and then we've got coaches from the corporate world who are coming in and actually coaching teams and supporting them as well. So we've got businesses coming in. RACQ, I think, is on board and a few other businesses too. So they've come up. One of the things that corporates had to do was to come with a problem. What problem are you seeing in your business? Come and bring it to the hackathon and, and we'll put it on the table there and a team of students can pinch your, your problem and, and come up with some ideas over these two days and you can take that away and do with it as you will. So it's, it's going to be an exciting time. And then, but... Next year, beginning of next year, we're going to have we are going to have the whole school hackathon, and it'll be a climate hackathon. So, oh, yeah. So right. this, in a sense, is a bit of a prototype for uh, something even bigger. It's probably the biggest hackathon you've ever seen. <laughs> so, oh, thirteen hundred kids on a climate ha hackathon. It, it's going to be insane. But who cares what happens? Like, yeah. it, it'd be a great learning experience if it falls over. It falls over. But if it doesn't, pray, what could happen? <laughs> Anything could happen. All sorts of things can come out of that. Precisely. So it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, much, much better than sitting at the end of the year watching videos and Christmas videos or you know, twiddling our thumbs, biding our time to the end of the year comes while the teacher sits in the back of the room doing the marking. Why not spend the time smashing out some ideas and solving some problems? Doing something fun and memorable. Precisely right. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really great. I was sitting in a presentation a couple of weeks ago on risk management and the guy was, was saying, we always have 10 reasons why we can't do something. <laughs> yes. But you need to find the one reason. Reason why we should. Why we should. <laughs> exactly. And I thought that says everything. Precisely yeah. right. Find that reason why and just do it. Do it, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is insane our, our response to risk in Australia, isn't it? Like it's crazy. I visit countries all around the world and we're just really, wrapping ourselves in cotton wool and then stopping any form of creative thinking or entrepreneurialism because we're too averse to risk and <laughs> but why not let's just do it give it a go so with all these skills that you're building up with the kids are you getting informational research or feedback from students who have now left the school well, not yet, David. There's lots of pieces that we're actually doing. Uh, we're continually researching because I, I'm a great believer in looking at the evidence. I, I don't like to introduce something just for the sake of introducing an idea. Yeah, I like to take risks, but I like to take educated risks. So we do do a lot of research before we implement change in the school because I, you know, I've got a responsibility to families who are paying money to send their kids here. And so I've got an ethical or moral responsibility to those families and those, those kids. So we do do a lot of research. So our realms of thinking is underpinned by significant research. Our entrepreneurial pathway, even though we've been prototyping and designing and taking risks, it's still underpinned by significant research as well, that this is an important thing to do. It's not just a, a Mickey Mouse nice thing to add on that everyone else is you know, having a go at, so we've, we should follow suit. It's no, we actually believe this is the most important thing that we should be doing here for our young people. Yeah, so we've been prototyping that for a number of years, but we haven't got graduates coming out of the school yet. Certainly, we've got graduates coming out of the school who've been influenced it, 
by it, but not been through that whole process. It'll be interesting in a couple of years to see what actually happens. We've developed our realms of thinking way of, of, of teaching uh, to become a pedagogical framework. So you'd be familiar with dimensions of learning or habits of the mind or you know, where schools would become a dimensions of learning school. We've got it to a point now where our vision is to actually on-sell that to other schools. So we had a school here yesterday who were really keen on actually becoming a realms of thinking school. And we've got a, a business model to support that school to implement it in their school as well so we can influence education more broadly. The other piece that we're actually looking at at the moment in response to your question is how do we know that a student coming to St Paul's School will be more creative as a result of their education here? And that's, that's a great question, but how do you actually answer that? We've been doing some research around that piece of how do we actually measure that and how do we report on it? So parents can see that we really value this. So we value these dispositions enough to actually gather evidence to show and demonstrate that kids are developing these skills and these dispositions and then we're reporting to parents about the development of those skills. So there's some pieces that we still need to develop and we're working on. And I think that's where a lot of people shy away because the complexity to formally assess, if you, if you and that's it, an uncomfortable way of saying it yeah. because it, it's a disconnect with, with really the program, but in on the one hand you have tertiary entrance ranks, which yeah. so many people go, oh, there's a mark, and I can, I can, my brain can tell me what that mark kind of means, yeah. whether it's relevant or not, is, is a whole nother matter. But then trying to look at all those skills like creative thinking, problem solving. I find that quite interesting. I love to see where you take that and how you develop that, because that's something that I've always struggled with in the translation with experiential education yeah. and outdoor ed and anything. How do you yeah. measure that? There's great social and emotional growth, but how do you really translate that into meaningful terms for parents and for students? There's the adage, we value what we measure and we measure what we value. At the end of the day, what do we actually really value? And we probably don't measure those things. Like we, we really value resilience and yet we don't measure resilience. We would all say we value love and relationships, but we don't measure love and relationships. So probably the proof of the pudding is really ultimately going to become the people that they become and the character that they display. And so certainly anecdotally, we've got lots of stories of, of kids who've left here who are, you know, I had a, a girl who came to have coffee with me a couple of weeks ago and I actually shared her story at our Celebration of Achievement last week where she finished in 2017 and she came and sent me an email, a beautiful email and just said, oh, Dr. Brennan, can I come have a coffee with you because I've been at University of Melbourne, I'm studying environmental science, but I want to find somewhere where I can actually make an impact and share and use the skills I learned at St Paul's School. So we came and she had a coffee and, and her passion and heart is actually for the education of young people in the Philippines. So she sees a problem and an issue there and she has a heart to change that and, and make that life, those lives better. And now she's going away to actually go and find an opportunity to go to the Philippines to actually look at the education system and how can she improve the opportunities for young people there. So that's the type of student we want to actually see as a result yeah. of, and any school would say that as well. But I would argue they're better equipped to do that because they're able to actually think differently, to think creatively, to come up with innovative ideas of how she can solve that problem. And she has the heart to actually do that. Can you measure that heart and can you measure that? Probably not, but the proof of the pudding is her passion for that and then ultimately what she'll actually do with that passion. Yeah, the impact she'll have. Well, I think that's a really wonderful program that you're running here. I'd love to, to hear down the track where it goes, how you develop it and the future of the program. 
But thank you very much for your time today, Paul. Lovely talking to you. So thank you very much, David. That was Dr. Paul Browning, Headmaster of St Paul's School in Brisbane. For more information on St Paul's School and their entrepreneurial stream, or if you'd like to find a copy of Paul's new book on school leadership called Principled, check out the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a nice review and give us a rating. It helps others to find the podcast and helps us to review and improve the show as well. If you'd like to get in touch or want to let us know about an awesome experiential education program you're running, please drop us a line through the website. Join us next week as we explore more great stories and ideas for experiential education. Thank you.